Good morning, Madrid, and welcome to Behind the Lights with me, Seb. And me, Jonah. As always, we pay respect to the traditional custodians of the lands where you're coming from, the Gadigal people of the Euro Nation. Now, before we get into a couple of big finals over the weekend, Jono, there were a couple of other sporting headlines over the week. Uh, and in football in England, it was the championship playoff final between Nottingham Forest and Huddersfield. And Nottingham Forest defeated Huddersfield 1-0 after a Levi Colwell own goal. Uh, so it'll be the first time Forest will be in the Premier League since 1999. So... Um, Great news for those fans, Jono, and, and a great historic club in England with two European Cups. Yeah, um, big news for them. I mean, this is going to be a big jump as well. So hopefully we're not talking about them in terms of relegation next year. I really, really hope that when these teams do get promoted, that they at least last for longer than a season. And a, and a club with that much history as well, you'd really hope um, that they're able to stay within the Premier League. I mean, it's been a long road back. Um, so good luck next year, and um, we'll see uh, what, what the next season has in store for them. The League 2 playoff final was also played over the weekend, and Port Vale defeated Mansfield Town 3-0, so they'll be in League 1 next year. NRL and the State of Origin squads for New South Wales and Queensland were named on over the weekend, and for the first game on June 8, with New South Wales coach Brad Fittler naming debutants in an extended squad of 22, so Katoni Staggs, Stephen Crichton, and Ryan Matteson. Uh, will all make their debuts, while Nico Hines was named as 18th man. Some big omissions for New South Wales, Josh Adokar and Jake Trevojevic were left out. While for Queensland, uh, Billy Slater included 19-year-old Selwyn Cobbo from the Broncos uh, to debut on the wing, while also including six players from the North Queensland Cowboys, while leaving out David Fafita from the Gold Coast Titans, so a big omission there. Uh, round 12 in the NRL was Indigenous round, and the Panthers down the Cowboys 22-0. Uh, while the Roosters defeated the Sharks 36-16, a good win for your boys, Jono. And Parramatta defeated the Raiders 28 points to 20. So Penrith remained top, followed by Melbourne, the Cowboys and the Broncos, while the Rabbitohs round out the top eight. AFL, and the Indigenous round continued um, in the AFL as round 11 saw some upsets. Uh, and Melbourne suffered their first loss of the season um, as they were down by Fremantle 94-56. to Sydney won a cracker on Friday night against Richmond, 106-100, while Collingwood beat Carlton, 79-75 on Sunday afternoon. Meaning Melbourne remain top, followed by Brisbane, Fremantle and St Kilda, while Sydney sit in 7th. Super Rugby was the last regular season round, and the Crusaders defeated the Reds, 28-15. Moana Pacifica defeated Brumbies, 32-22. The Blues defeated the Waratahs, 20 points to 17 the Western Force defeated the Hurricanes 27-22, and the Melbourne Rebels defeated the Highlanders 31-30, meaning the quarterfinals are set, and the Crusaders will take on the Reds, the Chiefs will play the Waratahs, the Blues will take on the Highlanders, and the Brumbies will take on the Hurricanes. F1 was the Monaco GP, and Red Bull driver Sergio Perez won a wet Monaco uh, circuit there, while Ferrero's Carlos Sainz Jr. came second, and Red Bull's Max Verstappen finished third. Meaning Max Verstappen remains top of the Drivers' Championship, nine points ahead of Ferrari's Charles Leclerc, with Sergio Perez sitting in third. Tennis, French Open continued. Rafael Nadal survived a tough five-set fourth-round clash against Canadian Felix Auger to set up a mouth-watering quarter-final clash against Novak Djokovic. Or 6 seed Carlos Alcarez also got through to the quarterfinals after a straight-sets fourth-round win over Karen Kachanov. 
In the women's, it was a good night for the Americans as Madison Keys, Coco Gauff, and Sloane Stephens all got through to the quarterfinals. So uh, good news there, uh, Jono, from American tennis. Yeah, really good in terms of that women's game. And it's really good to see potentially Coco Golf in particular really start translating a lot of that hype that we've seen for the last two years or so. Um, she is still very, very young in her career, but it's always good to have these late runs while you're young in the career. And then as well on that men's side, that's going to be such a crack in quarterfinal. Djokovic versus Nadal. I mean, Nadal on clay, we all know what he is. And, and Djokovic, I mean, he's going to take take his chances in terms of his opportunities that he has in, in missing some of the um, the big major tournaments as well as of recent because of all the um, COVID situations in terms of vaccination. So he's he's definitely there to win. Um, and we know what Nadal brings to clay. So it's, it sets up for some great, great rounds uh, in the days to come. In basketball, we have the NBA final set now. The Golden State Warriors defeated the Dallas Mavericks 4-1 in their series. So did it pretty easily in the end while just finishing... Uh, Boston defeated Miami 4-3 in Game 7. So Boston went to Miami and won there, Jono. So it should be a cracking, uh, hopefully, NBA final there between Golden State Warriors and Boston Celtics. Yeah, I think it's going to be a great finals. I think this definitely has that kind of thing where it's more along the lines of offense versus defense. Um, I think Boston has great offensive talent as well, but they are, I think, a little bit stronger defensively, whereas Golden State, we know, just kind of shoots out um, and and just puts them up. Um, and any of those players can really score. Um, as we've seen, I think the keys to success is again going to be Draymond Green for that Golden State team. I mean, when he is when he is in the team, when he is healthy, when he is playing the way that he can, unselfish playing, um, that team's a, a whole nother level. And of course, they have all the shooting power from everyone around there. And then for Boston, it's going to be Jason Tatum plus who? That's going to be the question. I mean, Jason Tatum's going to be needing to to stay in his rhythm, make sure he performs, and then it's who's going to be the supporting act, whether that's on the defensive side or on the offensive side. So there's going to always need to be someone stepping up with him for Boston to have success. But I think it's going to be a really intriguing final series. I'm definitely looking forward to this one. Yeah, that starts later this week. In ice hockey, the Stanley Cup playoffs also continue, and the conference finals are taking shape. The Avalanches will take on the Oilers, or the Lightning will take on either the Hurricanes or Rangers. So getting to the business end of the Stanley Cup as well. A bit of cycling news and some good news for Australian cycling fans. 26-year-old Jai Hindley became the first Australian to win the prestigious Giro d'Italia. I see he claimed the overall victory by 1 minute and 18 seconds. So some great news there for Jai Henley, Hinley and um, also for tennis fans in Australia. Well, Jono, as I did mention at the top of the show, there were a couple of big finals over the weekend. And on Saturday evening, Australian time was the Isuzu A-League Grand Final between Western United and Melbourne City. A, a bit of a Melbourne derby there. And Western United upset Melbourne City 2-0. Uh, it was their first grand final win, only their third year of existence. Before we get into a little bit of the uh, details of the game, John, what did you make of the contest and and a great victory for West United to uh, upset Melbourne City? Yeah, I mean, as you said, um, congratulations to, to West United there for that big upset. I mean, everyone probably went into this match. You could have really gone either way, but really realistically tipping City to kind of to, to take this home. Not only were they kind of the favorites throughout the whole season, but going into this as well. Um, but I think it's huge for Western United, as you said, fairly new club as well. Um, we've seen City's dominance as uh, you know, as in the past year, so I think it's really big as well to establish themselves as a new name. In particularly, you know, Melbourne is such a, a sporting rich um, city in terms of you know how many different clubs that fans have to support. So I think it's great that. 
to have this much success as well early on in your days to try and get more and more fans kind of lean them towards your side I think is great and this is just going to help them as well um, and again being a bit of an underdog story I think really helps as well in getting that fan base but definitely congratulations to them played great um, and just was really alert in particular in that first half came out knowing what they needed to do I think that was realistically what led them to keys uh, keys to victory for this game as you mentioned, Melbourne City have experienced a lot of success, especially over the last few years, and they were attempting to win their second consecutive double after they won the minor premiership. Um, but I guess that early goal to West United, an own goal by City defender Nuno Reyes, which actually was the fastest goal in grand final history coming after just two minutes, uh, really put City on the back foot. And then um, another, I guess, lucky goal in some sense, a, a lucky deflection allowed Alexander Pritrovic uh, to smash home the second one. And, and Melbourne City, Jono, just couldn't really get into their rhythm. They didn't really threaten too much. They did hit the crossbar early in the second half through, Roston, through a Roston Griffith header. Um, but in terms of that vaunted attack, um, we've, which we've seen score so many goals this year, they just couldn't quite click into gear. And, and West United defended reasonably comfortable. Yeah, again, it just comes down to sometimes taking your chances. And yes, there's going to be potentially a lucky own goal, deflection that kind of leads you there. But it also comes down to positioning as well where you are um, and then just pouncing on those opportunities. You know, if you do get a lucky deflection, making sure you put that in the back of the net. And that's what was done. So it's really just making sure you do that. You know, for Melbourne City, as you said, you know, they've had a cracking year. We expected a little bit more from them. Um, and it could have been maybe a bit of pressure coming in as, as such favorites as well. I think that there always is a lot of a lot of pressure when it comes to being a favorites going into finals um, to make sure you perform to that level. Could have been a little bit of that. Um, but yeah, I mean, overall, like I said, I think it really came down to uh, Western United just, just taking advantage of the chance, whether it's a lucky chance or not, just, just being there and ready to put it in the back of the net. And unfortunate for City, but I'm sure we're still going to see them, you know, back in these kind of positions in the next, maybe even next season, if not the next couple of years. I, I know that they'll be back there at the top again. More remar- more remarkably for, for West United, they also did it without uh, Italian or former Italian international Alessandro Diamanti, who's been such a hit here in the A-League. Um, and congratulations to, to John Aloisi, mm. um, his first bit of silverware as a coach. And, and going down there, it wasn't going to be a, an easy assignment. He's done amazing uh, to win from, from third position. So they, they didn't even really, even though it was in Melbourne, it wasn't technically their, their home final. So to win from third and, um, as I said, win a, a championship so early on for this club, it could only be good for them. And yeah. hopefully they can grow from here. And, and commiserations to Melbourne City. I think, though, Patrick Kisnorbo can be proud of, of his team and, and the year they've had. Um, and as you said, I think they'll be back bigger and better next year. They've, they've got built a really good culture down there and got some really good players. So um, I think Melbourne City will be back up and again, up and with it again next year. Well, the big one though, Jono. Sunday morning, Australian time, the Champions League final, the biggest club football game in Europe between two storied clubs, Real Madrid and Liverpool. And it was Madrid, Jono, that uh, we've said it all the way through this Champions League campaign when you thought they were gone, they somehow pulled something out from nowhere. And in this game, it sort of took the same, I guess, direction as what, Madrid have been experiencing through Liverpool probably created 
the better chances and created more chances, but Madrid were decisive when that one moment opened up during the game through Vinicius Jr. in the 59th minute in the second half. As Trent Alexander-Arnold actually defended quite well in the game, but the one moment he, he let him go and he tapped in from the back post and it delivered Madrid's 14th Champions League title, which is quite amazing. But Jono, what did you make of the contest overall? Um, before we get into any more specifics around the game. And, yeah, how did you view the game between Madrid and Liverpool? Yeah, I mean, um, it was it was definitely one of those games as well where you just really can't count Madrid out no matter what. Um, I think it was it was almost exactly what maybe everyone would have thought it been, minus maybe Madrid not having any chances really besides that one. Um, I would have thought that they would have had a couple more chances. Um, yes, maybe there was that disallowed goal, essentially, Um but um, overall, I mean, look, what, what, we, what Liverpool had was just, you know, I, I believe I expected that where they came out. They had a lot of opportunities. Um, Courtois just had an amazing, amazing, unbelievable, amazing game. Um, but yeah, I think, I think it realistically, besides, like I said, maybe a few chances that, that I would have thought Real Madrid would have had a bit more, it played out as I would have thought um, in terms of Madrid just taking advantage of, of the one or two opportunities that they have. That's what they've been doing all, all Champions League. Um, it's just if they get an opportunity, they're taking advantage of it and it's getting put in the back of the net. And that was essentially the difference is, is being able to just, when you get your opportunity, put it in the back of the net. Um, so I, it would be a really frustrating day for all Liverpool players, fans, everybody around that club because you had so many chances and unfortunately just did not go their way today. But congrats to Madrid. It's an amazing feat. Um, an amazing record as of recent time as well, in particular, to, to do what they've been able to do in Champions League and in the finals in particular. Well, more amazingly, Madrid have now won their last eight Champions League finals, which is a remarkable record in such a big game uh, when you consider how much pressure there is to go into that into that game. But, John, as, as we were sort of saying, Liverpool are going to rue some of those missed chances. But as you said, Thibaut Courtois just seemed to be having one of those games that... Second half save, especially off Salah when he when he took the ball down beautifully from a long ball yeah. and hit it with his right foot and it looked destined to go in. He's put a big right hand out and also that early save on Sadio Mane where he tipped it onto the post. And how many times do we see a goalkeeper tip it onto the post and it just goes in from that angle? And for whatever reason, it wasn't to be Liverpool's day, but he really showed why the big teams need to have quality goalkeepers, John. Because as Klopp said after that, it is sometimes a concern if if a goalkeeper is, is man of the match, but also in saying that, to win sometimes these big titles. And we've seen with Jose Mourinho teams down the line, Diego Simeone with Athletic and Madrid, the, the consistency and quality he's had with them. They've always had a quality goalkeeper. Yeah, and I mean, it's 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 kind of a... It's, it's almost a funny one as well when you look at Liverpool versus Real Madrid in their recent history in their Champions League finals. Um, you go back to when they, when they lost... Um, it was because of goalkeeper mistakes from Liverpool. Now, in, instead of mistakes, it was a stellar goalkeeping performance from Real Madrid. So it just seems that no matter what, you know, they, they upgraded in terms of their goalkeeper, but they didn't account for what was on the other side. So great job by Courtois. Um, he really, as, as you could see as well by his comments afterwards, it looked like that he had something to prove. It seemed like he really wanted to show that he is still a top keeper. I think there's a lot of doubts in recent years. You know, his levels dropped. Um, is he of quality of a lot of the keepers at, you know, City, Liverpool, among, among few to name? 
But um, yeah, he had a, a great performance, and he, he I mean, he single-handedly really was that reason why Real Madrid were kept in the game. And then it just, like I said, it just fell to then the ones up top that were able to just take that chance. But um, yeah, it's crazy to think that Liverpool have been on the bad end of the stick when it comes to goalkeeping performances, both when they're bad and when they're good. And yes, it does show the importance of making sure you have a good keeper because when they, when when you need them to step up, they need to be there to be able to step up. And that could be the difference of winning and losing. And in this case, it was definitely the difference in winning the Champions League. Interesting to say that about Courtois. He came out after the game and, and stated that he didn't didn't uh, receive the respect he, he reckoned he deserved, especially in his, in his time in England with, with Chelsea. In terms of looking at Liverpool now, Jono, do you think Klopp could have done any more in regards to the tactical shape of his team or in terms of trying to change it? Obviously, he brought off uh, Diaz, who... And I know uh, me and you were watching, and I know I was... A bit critical of Carvajal early on, Denny Carvajal, but he did a tremendous job on Diaz to, to limit him, and then he sort of put Mane out wide and, and tried to put Diego Jota through the middle. Do you think there was any more that, that Klopp could have done, or do you think it was just purely down to one of those days where Liverpool had enough chances, but there was a brick wall standing in front of them? Yeah, it's a really hard one as well, because you think about, um, from a management standpoint, you know, you're only potentially, you know, you're 1-0 down in the game, or even when it's still nil all as well. You know, you're in the game, it's just not the chances are falling. So you don't want to change too much where it unbalances things. You know, you bring in too many strike, too much strike power. You don't have enough shape in that midfielder and that defense. Then you're susceptible there. So I think at the end of the day, he had to really trust his players. He did make some t- some changes there, and I think they were for the better. Um, could have been earlier, maybe. I mean, but again, it, it's, it's not that they were playing bad. That's the thing here. So they weren't playing bad. It's just that Courtois was was pulling off some amazing saves. So, you know, it's it, it from a management standpoint, you know, how do you manage that? Do you just continue to trust in your players? Um, which I think for the most part he did, and that was really the right decision. And then he made some slight adjustments. It does get to a point as well where if you're already down, especially in a final, well, you might as well try as much as you can to make sure you win because you're already down. It can't you, you're already going to lose, so you can't get worse than that. Um, but um, yeah, it's a, it was a really tough call, I think, for him as well, um, because you do trust that that front three have been amazing all year, so you trust that. But but the difference was is again, Courtois was just stopping everything. They didn't necessarily play bad; it was just they were unable to put it in the back of the net because of an individual performance that was just through the roof. Well, I thought well at the end they had four strikers on. They brought Firmino yeah, on yeah. as well, and I actually think Liverpool's back four overall did really well. Yes, Karim Benzema, some of his hold up play and his touch yeah. and the way he brings other players into the game is is outstanding, but they actually limited him. He had no shots on target. There was obviously that controversial offside call, which they got lucky with at the end of the first half, which he did put away, but they actually kept Benzema Mm. relatively quiet, and I thought actually Trent Alexander-Arnold did a pretty good job on Vinicius. Um, The other outstanding defender, I thought, was the young Kanate in the centre defence with Virgil van Dijk. There were a couple of times which he got stuck one-on-one with Vinicius, and you thought maybe Vinicius would go past him with his pace, but his timing of his tackles and his strength yeah. Yeah. Uh, was immense. Now looking at the Madrid side of things, Jono, yes, it was. this was not a vintage Real Madrid team. It was not a vintage Real Madrid performance in regards to where they controlled the game and, and played beautiful football. It was all built through grit, yeah. and as we've said all the way through, there were moments that they picked and, and they were clinical. In terms of looking at a back line, though, they, they did throw themselves in, in front of the balls. They were there. They were tough. Milito and, and Alaba on that centre-back. As we've said, Danny Carvajal, 
had a game for the ages. He, he pulled one out against Diaz. So I guess you do have to give Madrid credit where they are never out of a contest. Yeah, it's quite remarkable when they... They don't have this, I, I don't think, the same mentality when it comes to the domestic league, but it's something about um, cups, finals, you know, something when there's essentially a, a major trophy, these knockout formats um, on the line. And what it really shows as well is, yes, there's been this core group that has kind of been through them all as of recent, but it shows that that core group is able to pass on the history to the next, to that younger generation. You could see, you know, the players like Vinicius, what it meant to him. You can see throughout the whole Champions League, a player like Rodrigo, when he steps on, what, what it means to him. All those players on that team, they really pass down that history. And I don't know that that's something that's shown in all the other clubs as well, where it's passing that down from from the from those older, more established players who have been there through it to the younger, new ones. And I think that's the difference here is because then you saw maybe technically player for player that back line, Liverpool are a better team in terms of when you talk about their defense. But the difference was is that Real Madrid was alert the whole time. They tried to close down. They put their bodies on the line. They were trying to get into tackles. They were doing whatever they possibly can. You could tell that they were all putting in 110% that whole time. Um, and I think that's really remarkable. And they've done that this whole tournament. And as their record proves, when they get to a final as well, there's another level that clicks with them. And they say, yeah, we're not going to lose this final. Um, so that's, I think, the difference really there that showed for them. And in particular, you know, when it came to that back line, that midfield, or again, just taking those chances when it came up top. And talking about pedigree and, and mentality. So beginning of the match, Ronaldo was the only, Cristiano Ronaldo was the only player to have won five Champions League titles. He is now joined by Gareth Bale, Karim Benzema, Casemiro, Tony Cruz, Nacho, Denny Carvajal, Isco, Marcelo, and Luka Modric. It just shows you running throughout that squad. Even some of those players, Gareth Bale's probably four and a half considering yeah. the season he had. Even Hazard picked up a Champions League medal. But there's a real core group there that have been there, done it before. And that does count for something at this moment, even when you're not the best team and even when you're not, you don't deserve it probably over the 90 minutes on performance. There's yeah. there's something extra that, that gets them there. The other bit of credit that has to go to Madrid is Carlo Ancelotti. Yeah. Yes, he might not be as tactically astute as maybe say a Pep Guardiola or Jurgen Klopp is in terms of his management style it's probably not built on that but in terms of his man management how he manages the egos in this squad how he manages this Real Madrid this aging Real Madrid team through it even and then integrating some of these younger players uh, into the squad um, an amazing effort John Owen becomes the first manager to win four European Cups as a manager yeah, I think that what this really showed as well is um, the type of manager that Ancelotti really is. You know, he, he's he's a manager, as you said, he's he's a player manager. He's he's there for the egos. He's there to manage the locker room and the expectations and what each player needs to bring to the pitch. Um, and I think that really shows as well in terms of the difference of in terms of the success when he has, you know, quality players at his disposal. When he has players that have, you know, have those egos and you know that. Some think, oh, they can't be managed compared to when you look at him in time as you know in his time in Everton and everything, where he had some raw talent. Thing along those lines, you know, maybe some decent players, but I, I do actually feel like he struggled with that more so than he does when it comes to managing egos, um, and and just managing their general health and and game to game, um, you know. Uh, how they move from game to game recovery and everything. So I think it shows that th there's two different types of managers here. 
Um, you know, you don't always get one that's it's 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 that it fits every mold. Um, I think you know it's it's very different and it shows that he is very successful when it comes to that because not everybody can do that. Um, it's very very hard, and we've seen that that some of these managers go to these big clubs and they just they fail because especially at a club like Real Madrid, of Real Madrid, Barcelona. Are, I think key examples of this managers fly through there and they're unable to manage it, and so there's only a select group that really can. Um, and so credit to him for being one of those select managers who can. Um, and I, I, I mean, I wish him all the best. I think he's, I think he's been dominant in terms of that. And when he gets into the finals, again, he's able to manage them and, and switch it into another gear. Unfortunately, though, John, there was a little bit of crowd chaos, which overshadowed the beginning of the match, which saw the match nearly delayed 40 minutes. Uh, French officials and UEFA blamed Liverpool fans for turning up late and also fans turning up with fake tickets. But as reports have, have kept coming out through the, the past couple of days, um, fans have also said police were spraying tear gas, including kids and families, and, and it seemed to be down to a breakdown in tickets, ticket checks and flowing of people into the stadium. So, Jono, a bit of a concern there. We're glad that there's been no reports of people getting hurt, but uh, hopefully we'll get some clarity over the next few days once uh, a full investigation is done here. Yeah, definitely. I mean, a, a full investigation needs to be done because... Um, something like that should never happen. There needs to be a lot of planning that goes in, and not only planning as to how it's going to run, but also in the cases of certain situations, there needs to be um, some some ch- some plans in there to pivot and change and adjust to situations. Um, so poor on UEFA as of as of right now, and let's see what they do to to rectify this, and also moving forward, what processes are going to be put into place so it doesn't happen again. Also, quickly touching on a story that that could affect Liverpool next year. Uh, reports now servicing Sadio Mane. Looks like he will leave the yeah. club, looking like possibly Bayern Munich. What do you make of these early reports? And yeah, what do you make of if Sadio Mane does move to Bayern Munich? Yeah, look, I think from a Liverpool standpoint, they have a lot of talent, so they're you know, they can they can definitely replace him in some aspects. But I actually think that he is probably the key person for that Liverpool team. Almost in some cases, more than Salah at times. Um, so I think it's going to be really felt. I mean, what he does to score goals as well as assist is and just create space as well for Salah and the other players. Um, I think he's really going to be missed. I don't know how he's necessarily going to fit into that Bayern squad, how it's all going to work with them. I think they have a lot of um, things to work out on their side as well and in terms of their squad. So it'll be interesting to see if he does land at Bayern, how that's all going to work. Um, but from a Liverpool side, I think they are going to feel that. I think he's a, he's definitely a big, big loss from them if he is if he is actually leaving. Yeah, I'm a little bit surprised if if it does go through and he does go to Bayern Munich because it'll be interesting to see what the motive is behind him leaving. Because when you think about it on the surface, he's he's playing at one of the best clubs in the world. He's going to they're going to be there or thereabouts again for this Champions League title next year in England on all fronts. He's been paid handsomely, and to move to a club like Bayern Munich, which is now going through a little bit of a transition. Obviously, we know Lewandowski looks like he wants yeah. to leave. Um, a few of the aging players, again, to the end of their career, they look like they're investing in youth. It would be interesting. And in Germany, Bayern Munich are so dominant. Yeah. So in terms of a challenge there, I don't really see it. And then I don't see Bayern Munich challenging for a Champions League next year or even the next couple of years with the squad they currently have. So we need to see how that plays out. But as you said, it would be a, a loss to Liverpool, but I do think they do have um, enough to cover. And, and obviously, Klopp will... Would have already thought about how he how he can cover for Mane. So we'll be interested to see what happens with that one. Well, Jono, the final indicated the end of another Champions League season, another amazing season, plenty of uh, high moments, low moments, and everything in between. 
Um, so this week, we're going to do five quick questions, which we'll both answer, um, reflecting back on the Champions League and also reflecting forward. So question number one, John, I'll ask you first. Who was the most disappointing club this year in the Champions League? Yeah, so, I mean, I think the real, real obvious answer here is Barcelona. Um, but I'm not going to put them full to blame because they had their struggles early on as well. But I think besides that, um, AC Milan was quite disappointing considering their success in Italy. Um, I, you know, you need to be able to balance both. Um, and yes, maybe they weren't necessarily always at the top, you know, quite there. But um, but to have so much success domestically and then not be able to transition at all any of that success to the Champions League, I think is, is very, very disappointing. So for me, it's AC Milan. I'm going to go with Sevilla. Because I think Sevilla are actually in a relatively open group. Wolfsburg, Lille, you expect them to get through that group, at least in the top two, and to finish, not even finish in the top two. And considering in Spain, they're actually in the title race for, for at least three quarters of that year before they faded out at the end. So Sevilla, for me, were a really big disappointment considering how much success they have in the Europa League as well. And they haven't really transferred that into the Champions League. So yeah. for me, they were my disappointing club of the season. Jono, who was the biggest surprise package in the Champions League this year? Um, I guess for me, it'll probably be quite obvious one, but Villarreal for getting so far. Um, I, you know, they were able to knock out some heavyweights there as well along the way. Um, but congrats to them. I think they had a great, great year. Um, and I think that, you know, it did come out of shock to have them be one of the names that that, that far in. Um, so I think that's that's. You know, not saying, not trying to discredit them in any sense, but realistically, I don't think in particular this year anyone really expected them to go that far. So, congrats to them for that. And that's why they'd be the most surprising team in terms of how they performed. Mine's going to be FC Sheriff Tiraspol, who uh, they didn't make it into the round of 16, but when they defeated Real Madrid and to be really competitive in a a group that contained Inter, Madrid, and uh, Bruges. Yep. A team that nobody really knew about. Yes, they've got a little bit of backing, but considering they're a really small club, um, I thought they were a really they were probably the the storyline of the group stage. FC FC Sheriff for me. Number three, best player in the Champions League this year, John. I know it's a tough one. There's plenty of good performances, but who was your most outstanding? Um, yeah, so I'll go for an obvious one here as well. I'm going to have to say Benzema. I'm actually not going to say him necessarily for his goal scoring, but also just his ability to lead this team, his ability as well for his hold-up play up top. Um, I think it was crucial. I think as well the development between him and Vinicius in terms of their relationship, as we know, is a bit rocky there for the last couple of years. Um, I think it really showed, and I think that he stepped up and showed, yeah, there's no Cristiano Ronaldo on this team, but I can also lead this team from up front. So, yes, he scored some incredible goals when they needed it, but it's what he was able to do on the field outside of that really showed him as as a key player in this tournament, and in particular for the eventual fin- uh, winners, Real Madrid. I'm, I'm going to go a little bit of a less obvious one. I'm going to go Pau Torres, the centre-back for Villarreal. Um, I just thought he was immense to get them into the semifinals. Yes, Villarreal didn't probably play the football everyone Loves watching, but in that system with Emery, I thought he was immense. And there's a couple of big English clubs circling Pau Torres, so um, he is highly thought of. So I thought he was outstanding for Villarreal. Number four, best game in the Champions League this year for you. Or there could be a couple, but what what stood out for you? I mean, look, you could literally say any game that Real Madrid played in was probably <laughs> one of the best games. Um, I, you know, you literally go down the list and. It was just non-stop, that entertainment. Um, I really, really enjoyed, yes, that first leg of the City versus Real Madrid, but I actually enjoyed that second leg even more because 
those last couple minutes just made it where you just, were gone. Just, you just it defied the rules of the game. So for me, as as yes, maybe the whole the whole game, the whole ninety minutes, okay, it's a bit dull at times. But what that last couple minutes did just just defied every law that or, or reason essentially. So for that, that that has to be one of the highlights there. For me, I'm going to go back to the group stage and when Sheriff defeated Real Madrid 2-1 and everyone was riding Madrid off at that stage. I wonder what they would have been paying to win it after that loss. Um, So I thought that was outstanding. And I can't go past that first leg between City and Madrid. The defending wasn't great that day, but in terms of forward football and attacking football, 4-3, it was full of goals, full of moments, uh, full of great attacking play. So for me, that was they were the two outstanding games for me. And looking forward, John, it's an early prediction. Who wins the Champions League next season? All right, I'm going to go for one that's so out of left field. But there's a slight, slight chance that maybe they can crawl up and have a good, easy path through. Um, with some financial backing this year, um, I'm going to say Tottenham. Antonio, if he does that, he will be the greatest manager ever. They're going to get there. And under Conte... He's gonna get them there, and they're gonna they're gonna finally lift it. Like I said, there has to be a lot of things that, that goes will their be way. One of the most it's have to unbelievable be a big summer as well. But yeah, I, I see a sliver of hope there for the Tottenham fans. I'm gonna go a more obvious one. I think Liverpool are gonna win it next year. I think Klopp's gonna get them up and running. If they buy another player in as well, they could go go into the market. I think Liverpool to win it next year. So Very we'll see what happens. Well, that brings to the end another episode of Behind the Lights with me, Seb, and me, Jana. As always, thank you for your support and good night. Thank you.